three, two, one, and we're back. It's Sunday, August 9th. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I always have to remind myself that on Sunday, we uh, don't have our normal show. So on Sunday, it's not a real estate-focused show necessarily. It's Julie and I just debriefing from our past week and kind of doing a little you know, mini brain dump of thoughts that are jingling around in our brains from all those coaching calls and all those podcasts and all the, you know, indirectly and directly hundreds, if not thousands of conversations we have with agents across the country. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, Julie, but between the podcast, premier coaching, um, you know, and our own private coaching calls, you know, that's a lot of conversations, but have you ever thought about how many people we're actually talking to every week? Have you ever thought about it? I know. And then last week we had people visiting on top of that. So, I know, I know, you know but, it's a lot. It's but Julie, I'm asking you, have you thought about I've it? Never How really, many? Yeah. Okay. Well, all kind of put, run together. You let's know, let's put numbers to it. Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, where do we start? Now, it's the difficult part is knowing how many people listen to the podcast right. every single day, right? Mm-hmm. But and you know, because the statistics, the analytics don't actually account for that. But if you were to guess, I would say conservatively every week. We have between, again, I don't know how many people are repeat listening, but we have probably 75,000, maybe more people listen to us every single week. That's a lot. Now, again, some of those 35,000 of those may be listening to us every single day repeatedly or different podcasts. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Yeah. And oh, I forgot the book. (laughs) (laughs) What about the Audible? The Audible, that's right. (laughs) And all of my premiere calls. So so that varies a little bit every day, but yeah, it's tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And then all of our private calls. And, you know, right. yeah, it's a lot. Even and then, this... Well, and then I call, you know, I have a fair amount, and I think you do this too. I call them intervention calls or surprise oh, yeah. calls or, you know, somebody will email us something and it's just easier to call and help them with their um, challenge than to, you know, try and type all of that back and have it make sense. So that's another X number of calls. Why do you think if you had to encapsulate it into maybe one or three things, and so, oh, by the way, we didn't finish with our disclaimer and our warning. <laughs> On Sunday, it's unstructured. Sunday warning. We are going to talk about whatever comes to our minds. So if you're looking for drilled down scripts and whatnot, got to listen to our regular show during the week because this Sunday show is basically our selfish indulgence. That's right. <laughs> and we might talk Anything about... Anything goes. We might talk about aliens. Yeah. We might talk about flying snakes. Yeah. That was an episode. Um. You know, we might talk about just whatever we want to talk about. And so strap in. (laughs) Show might go for two hours, might go for three hours, or it might go for 30 minutes. Exactly. Exactly. So what do you think, if you had to guess, what do you think the top, like, maybe one to three reasons why people listen to us? Why do you think that we're so popular? I mean, I hope, I don't know if it's hard for me to tell what the real reason is, but I hope the reason is that we keep it real, you know, and real world, obviously we have a a real estate um, overlay to everything since that's what we do. But I think just, you know, going through with them. So they know we're, they they know know we're we're authentic, I guess. Genuine, Genuine, right? Okay. So that's, that's point number one. I agree. They know we're not full of shit. Yeah. I hope that people feel, because we work towards this to kind of have their back on things and sort of see trends coming and and what's in front of you so that you can take what the market's willing to give you, whether that's personally, emotionally, financially, you know, um, so So that nothing sneaks up on them. So they, what I'm hearing you say is they, and we had earned that, that's taken decades. That's for sure. Of, um, you know, telling people what they didn't want to hear when they didn't want to hear it at the Mm -hmm. highest level, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what Whether they were ready or not. That's what we've been (laughs) doing for the past, really, uh, two years on this podcast is telling them that there was going to be 
a slowdown, a, an adjustment, a whatever you know, creative word you want to use mm-hmm. in the market. But we didn't predict that COVID would be the you know sure. the straw that broke the camel's back but there you are exactly. and here it is the irony of it is is that we also didn't predict we knew there was going to be some kind of government interact or government intervention but who know who nobody would have guessed that it would have been at this scale no. it just would have been conceivable Definitely that not. the government would you know i'm i don't want to go down the rabbit hole but it is pretty fascinating and when you take into consideration back after um the housing crash in 0708 there was this big, huge intervention. It was less than $900 billion. And it, remember that Congress didn't, the whole world was yep. shut down. Oh, my God, the world's coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And everyone was bail freaking out. out. Bailout. No, this is before the bailouts, oh, before, before the initial right. package was passed. And mm-hmm. people were freaking out. I don't know how many of you guys remember that. But it was like they tried to vote it, uh, pass it in Congress. And the Congress people didn't pass it because just all this. And then. Everything was going to – everyone was like, oh, my God, the world's going to come to an end. You know, mm-hmm. people were in their backyard sharpening spears, you know. <laughs> I don't even know what. But here's the reason I'm, I'm kind of sharing this memory with you guys is because now, okay, 800 – I think it was $863 billion or something way back then. and But now the number is like something upwards between what has been, you know, a sort of public-facing intervention, which would be – you know, the CARES Act, which is all it is, is in a continuation of quantitative easing. They just come up with different names for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but more essentially money printing, stuff. right? More mm-hmm. stimulus, right? Which isn't really stimulus. All it's really, it, I, I suppose it's stimulus, but it's really what it is, is I don't even know. It's, it's so, it's, a, time. It, it's trillions of dollars. That's the yeah. punchline. So they, so one 800 and like less than $900 billion was the big point of contention last go around. And this go around, now they're seemingly pumping another. Uh, on the you know public facing through the CARES Act and whatever, the, I think they put in it's like six or seven trillion, and then it, that doesn't even account for what the Treasury uh, Department has been doing with regards to buying mm-hmm. um, securities and stuff to keep. Like here, this is how odd it is, and, and again, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but you have gold right now that has essentially um, a record high for I don't even know how many years. And at the same time, you have the stock market doing amazingly well. Gold is not supposed to be going up at the same time that the stock market's going up. Usually those things operate opposite of each other. When you see gold going through the roof like it is right now, and now even the most conservative of the big banks are saying that they think it's going to go up by another $1,000 per ounce, right? Um, that is a uh, an indication that people are lacking faith and belief in the you know stock market and, and money and the whole thing. So gold is the, essentially the safe haven. Traditionally, that's what it's been. So if you, for example, if you're sitting on you know a thousand dollars and you don't believe your thousand dollars, I'm oversimplifying it, but you guys will understand. If you think it's possible that your thousand dollars isn't going to be worth or have the buying power, you know, of a thousand dollars, you know, tomorrow or the next day. You're going to buy gold because you're going to think gold's going to be better value retention. Or maybe, for example, you have a bunch of money in the stock market. And then you're saying, well, I'm not sure my stocks are going to go up and I don't want to lose the money I have. And so what people will do traditionally, if they pulled the money out and they put it into cash or they pulled the money out or they, and they put it into, guess what, gold. Yeah. And so now you have gold going through the roof at the same time you have the stock market going up. You guys see how this is a weird time? And so the reason that all these things are operating in bizarre ways is because of the trillions of dollars that the Fed has pumped into the economy. And it's just, 
it, look, all this stuff is a little obtuse. Nobody really knows what's going to happen next. Nobody knows whether there's going to be inflation or deflation, which may be an interesting topic to talk about. But really, what does matter is that, to Julie's point, and you're going to come up with a third reason why they listen to us? I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Entertainment value, maybe. Yeah, maybe, know. yeah. And <laughs> that I think the, um, yeah, you're going to see, uh, to Julie's point, that we're going to always basically be telling you guys, you know, we're going to be looking towards the horizon for you and making sure you're not skip, you know, tripping over opportunities right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And during this whole reshuffling you know, there's no historic. There's historical precedence for what's happening in the economy, but not when you add in the trillions of dollars of money printing. That's so never happened. that's never happened. Not in this scale. It's never, ever, 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 ever happened. And I don't think that we've ever had a, you know, kind of a this looming sense of all right, when there's a vaccine or a predictable treatment or a cure of something like a virus or a pandemic. We've never had like that. Okay, when that gets resolved, everything's going to snap back. That's like this other layer of weirdness out there. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't know how that ultimately is affecting things like the economy and you stock market and all that. that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Let's talk about that in a second. It's kind of, you yeah. know, we, it's the podcast we did on Fridays, which you're yeah. harkening back Basically. to in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess the moral of the story is, guys, is right now, nobody really knows what's going to happen no. next. And the big debate, and you're going to start, we started sharing this information with you guys back when COVID hit. Back when we saw the CARES Act, back when we saw these trillions of dollars being pumped into the economy, you know, you're going to start seeing the debate now is going to really start. Is it going to be um, depreciation of assets or is it going to be inflation? In other words, are we going to go through a big cycle of massive value loss and, you know, all tangible things as people rush to something like gold? You know, a lot of people believe that it just have all this on your radar or so is are people going to start questioning the validity of owning what they own and oh my gosh i'm going to sell what i've got because i don't want to lose the you know i don't want to lose my net worth and my wealth and i'm going to start where am i going to put the money well i don't believe that money itself cash is going to be a good um harbinger of uh storage of wealth so i'm going to put it into something else i'm going to put it into what gold or maybe real estate okay the real estate market it's a bubble the real estate's going to start depreciating you know, interest rates are going to so, – so you see, guys, there's – nobody knows. It, there's either going to be an overreaction, which is going to cause the gold market, specifically the gold market and really uniquely the gold market to go through the roof even more so than it already has. Or you're going to see a little hybrid, a version of um, inflation. And now inflation is kind of an interesting little thing as far as real estate goes because if there's inflation that happens, you're going to have the cost of everything to go through the roof and uh, the guys that are the big gold you know believers were made to be look you know they have egg on their face from last go around of stimulus because they're the ones that are saying all the stimulus is going to lead to a collapsing of the u.s dollar and all this other hyperinflation inflation and it didn't happen and so the conversation then was okay well the, you know, the government said, well, if we could pump all that money back in, into the economy before and we didn't create um, inflation because inflation, some inflation is good, you know, but a lot of inflation is bad uh, because it really, really wipes out the middle class, it wipes out normal people. That's because they can't they can't pay their bills. And and if inflation gets to the point where it starts adversely affecting the jobs market, they're not going to get raises. They're not going to be paid more to keep up with um, employment or keep up with the, the cost of living. So inflation is really bad overall. And not only that, it creates scarcities, uh, shortages. You guys think there are weird experiences happening after COVID. 
if there was a real bout of some nasty uh, inflation, then it's going to the the effect on everybody. So like when it start, first starts happening, and Julie and I read books on this actually since March, then people are like a little bit joyous. Oh, inflation! My house is going up in value. My you know my collectible maybe you have a collectible guitar. I don't know. So because what's happening is people are starting more people have the ability to buy stuff. More people are looking to put their you know cash into things that might be an alternative form of savings like what we're you know real estate and whatnot and then well you look like you were smart because then your house or your assets go up in value well then what eventually happens in inflation is is that the wages don't keep up and people's ability to uh, purchase things don't keep up with the cost of things and then essentially that whole cycle reverses and in order to basically reverse it, then they have to raise interest rates to slow down people's ability to purchase things, slow down the, uh, essentially the speed of the velocity of money, all these, you know, and this is all, this is the fascinating thing, guys. It's all theory. Nobody really knows why things act the way that they act. It's kind of like COVID. Nobody really knows anything about COVID. And so these are all just economic theories. So when you hear these economic, these economists speak, honestly, they're just guessing, because there's never been a time in history like this where there's been this much money printed. Um, and the combination of events. And, you know, I, I always think about, you know, the collective unconscious that we've seen work in the past. You know, we saw it during the, the boom where everybody everybody was okay with, you know, prices going up and, you know, fast and furious purchases. Not so different than, you know, our recent market. And then the collective unconscious of when, uh, you know, there was a, the last housing crash and recession and then it was like all of a sudden one day people just decided that prices had come down enough and now we can buy again it was sort of but, like it, you know that they so the, the you remember, con- you know what yeah I'm i totally understand yeah. i mean what caused the bubble to pop yeah what caused people to and what collect caused it? people to to get back in the game what you know? cl- what caused people to collect well it's the fear of missing out yeah. it's you know it's but that, FOMO. that is a collective but ultimately that's why mostly right you know? they're they're yeah. fearful of losing they're sure. fearful of missing. But mm-hmm. so what happens in what didn't happen last time uh, when they started really pumping money in the economy through quantitative easing is there was no real sharp in consumer prices it, it, in such a way. I remember we had an economist on our podcast. I don't remember Jeff something or another. Mm-hmm. And I think he was an, a professor from some prestigious school in Canada or something. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I found him on the Internet. And I was reading his articles. and He was really, really good at at explaining really crazy economic theory to dummies like me. So I appreciate it. I had him on the podcast and um, what he said was going to happen in what a lot of other people said was going to happen. Didn't happen that there was going to be massive uh, inflation in consumer items, shoes, food, water, milk. And when that happens, the manufacturers, and this is a food, they, what they do to uh, make it so that the inflation is not so obvious is they keep the prices the same, but they reduce the quantity of what they're selling. Mm-hmm. And I don't. And it was funny when Jeff said this because I had noticed that um, things were becoming smaller. So your, you know, jar of I'm just making this up, but just so no, you guys. I, I think that's when, like, we're having our diet coke right now. This is your typical standard issue 12 ounce can. I think that that's when they had those little mini cans. Yeah, they reduced the, the mini cans, right? I think right. they even have six ounce cans now. Right. And, but the price was not, you know, it was the same X amount of ounces less in price. That's right. No, and and I, you know, there's quite a few products like that. I and some of it's sneaky too. Like you, they were making, um, 
you know, bags of five hamburger buns. So if you had a family of six, you had to buy two bags. Well, actually, they already always did that. that. But you know what I'm saying. It's not always an obvious thing. No, but to just the point being is watch for manufacturers to try to hide the inflation. In Mm -hmm. other words, to make a can of, you know, 12-inch, 12-ounce Diet Coke, the cost of that between the aluminum, the aluminum, and the, you know, whatever, whatever, right? So what they're going to do is they're going to reduce it to, say, eight ounces, and God, God knows, I could definitely drink less Diet Coke, so that's not a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but they're going to keep the costs the same. So that's the way that the manufacturers try to hide the increasing costs that they have in their products, so that they don't just universally have to raise prices. But they can only do that for so long, and then they have to raise prices, and then people start noticing. Well, that started to happen back in '07 and '08. And again, Jeff Nielsen was his name. And I started looking out for what Jeff was, you know, suggesting was going to happen. And indeed, it was happening. And then it didn't happen anymore. And so the argument is, well, why the hell wasn't, after all that Fed money printing back in the day, why wasn't there a huge increase in consumer items? Why wasn't all these inflation hawks, why weren't they right? And nobody knows (laughs) about that for truth. Nobody knows. Nobody can answer the question. Again, it's theory. It's speculation. Exactly. You can only go off of what you've studied with past performance, and it doesn't always match up. Here's what they say now. They say the money went into other asset classes, though I think this answer is a little convenient personally, but whatever. Mm -hmm. It went into real estate. It went into some collectible items. It went into stuff like that. So with their argument, these economists that were – uh, expecting there to be a huge uh, spike in consumer inflation, you know, inflation in uh, consumer products, and it didn't happen, is that they or now their argument is well, the and inflation did happen, but it happened in ways that people don't ne- didn't necessarily notice. And you guys being real estate people, and Julie and I being a real estate people, well, you could maybe then start to see why they were leaning into real estate being the thing where all the money went, and maybe it did. Maybe real estate is where the money went, and maybe there was. And inflation in the cost of the things that, you know, window cover. I don't even know. But here's the thing. It's all a best guess. Even the smartest economists, there's no like minimum certification to be an economist. You guys listening, you could start calling yourself a real estate economist. And then all of a sudden, you'd, you know, people would listen to what you had to say, even though you just thought of that. It's kind of like back when the short sale thing was going on. All these people were calling them yeah. short sales, themselves short sale experts because mm-hmm. they spent $400 on a designation. And did <laughs> so they're a short sale. So they're, yeah, <laughs> or, or did no short sales, but yeah. they're experts. Well, that's kind of like what economists are. So, um, Moral of the story is there could be this time around real consumer inflation. Watch out for it, listeners. Look for it in little sneaky ways at first as we tried to uh, describe to you with the Coke can thing. And then once they can't hide it anymore, then you're going to start seeing it. And if your wages aren't increasing or if the wages of the people that you're doing business with aren't increasing, they're not going to be able to, to spend like they've been spending in the past because – Uh, They obviously don't have the ability to buy it because the stuff's more expensive. Well, then what happens after that? People then stop spending as much. And then the cycle essentially causes the whole economy to stop. It slows down. But initially, when you see, if we see, and this is possible, by the way, uh, if there is a huge, you know, cost increase for housing, more so than there has in the past because of all this money that's been pumped into the economy, and in other words, you know, inflation in the cost of housing, you real estate agents might actually if people have the ability to continue to purchase it real estate agents might be able to not just uh you know survive through nasty inflation but thrive through it so if we have low interest rates and we have a lot of inflation in the cost of real estate 
then that's going to be the absolute renaissance for real estate people. Before, I think they're even getting a touch of it now. Before, when there was a lot of inflation, and a a guy named Paul Volcker was put in place to slow the inflation down. This is back um, back in the early '80s, right? And then, and interest rates went to um, double digits. So your mortgage interest rate might be ten or twelve percent, and that was essentially the government trying to slow down spending, as I just indicated earlier. But if you don't have a government that is going to do anything other than keep interest rates low and you have inflation, you're going to then have everyone, because of the fear of missing out, want to buy a house. And then you're Mm going to see real estate even getting more expensive. And with low interest rates, the argument for not buying is going to just completely be blown to bits. So provided that people can purchase, provided because interest rates are low and because the terms haven't become too onerous, um, and you know if we don't have big... Uh, destruction values in real estate what we're entering into is the exact opposite of 07 and 08 and what we're entering into is going to be some sort of bizarro parallel universe (laughs) never experienced Mm -hmm. before hyper boom of not just real estate but probably other asset classes as well or okay interesting so that's one side of the coin right that's the inflation side now you have the deflation side which is a lot easier to understand because most of you guys listening Will uh, most of you weren't in real estate back in 07, 08, 09, but you will remember what happened. Yeah. Values of virtually everything initially plummeted. Everything went down in value. Um, you know, there was you could have had a car that was worth you know thirty thousand dollars one day. The next day, the car, or maybe two months later, because of what was going on in the economy, it was worth half that. That's what was happening across the board massive deflation of asset classes just and then the government started pumping in money and basically reinflated all those bubbles Um, real estate as you guys know went on sale soon as basically it started passing the real estate started passing from the weak hands to the strong hands right Mm -hmm. the government started taking back julie and i were buying assets then some of you guys were as well and hopefully you kept those assets because you did quite well in the run-up. And if the first scenario is right, where there's going to be a lot of inflation, you're even going to be made to be more right. Yep. Now, if there's deflation, then you're going to lose and your assets are going to depreciate in price. And then you're going to see a, it, just the whole cycle repeat itself like it did back in 07 through, 08, 07 through 09. Here's the biggest single difference between now and then. And this is the reason, frankly... I'm more inclined to believe that there's going to be a bout of inflation, not deflation. It's because the government has already said, it does not matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, has already said, there's no way in heck we're going to let the housing market crash. Mm-hmm. And and it, you're going to see more really, re- I don't even know how, to, I wasn't going to use the word ridiculous, I, but I, don't, I mean that in a good way and a bad way, mm-hmm. radical in a good way or a bad way. You're going to see the government overstepping doing things that maybe people from Julie and I's generation would have never en- envisioned the government being able to do to keep houses from depreciating. Uh, just all sorts of crazy things. Well, look, guys, think about this. There are more peop- uh, mortgage forbearances, right? Uh, eviction moratoriums, all these types of things. That's just the starting point of what's probably going to happen to keep there from being a precipitous drop in real estate values. I really do believe that's what's going to happen. You're going to see neighborhoods, and this is going to be a real screwy experience too, if this prediction is correct, where you're going to have, uh, you know, house after house, obviously, and this house, the person's in, uh, you know, maybe they're in default, right? Maybe they're not making their payments. They none of the, they couldn't qualify for any of the, 
you know, whatever the programs are. And then you're going to see this one. These people have made, they've been in forbearance for two years, so they're not making their payments. They're, they're, they're extending and pretending. And these people have their house paid off and these people have 50% exit. It's going to be so screwy to try to do CMAs because your comps, yeah. you're not going to know the nature of the, of the motivation right. of the seller. One might be financially distressed. One might be, you know, it's going to be crazy times. And, and all the numbers are going to be kind of fake too. Well, I mean, I guess I would say I'm already seeing a flavor of that from our premier calls because, you know, on those calls I hear from agents all over the country with different situations. And it has gotten progressively more mixed, the scenarios. And so what that's forced agents to do, who many of them never did this before, is use really serious pre-qualification scripts and to know their clients at a much different level. That's right. You know, then even 18 months ago, pre-COVID, when all you needed to know is, are you going to buy and sell with me, <laughs> right? And what's, you know, how fast can I do this for you? And here's how much your check's probably going to be. It, it essentially took care of itself. And so now you got to have a lot more strategy. You have to know more about the lending standards because those have tightened up. Um, and you have, you know, I have conversations about some are actual short sales, but a lot of it is pre-short sale. Like, you know, they, they want to have a strategy. They got to live somewhere. Are they going to rent? Are they going to downsize? Are they going to sideways size? What's, are we holding onto the house through forbearance? Um, one of the things that I've seen is people who would otherwise be selling because they know they want to do something different. Because the house is in forbearance, now their time frame's a little bit longer and they're going to ride it out. So you have all these different scenarios going on. And we didn't have that pre-COVID. Not no, much didn't. of it. Not much. Well, and here's the other thing. Let's say you lost your job. You technically can't afford your house anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you just put your mortgage in forbearance and live That's for free? That, we've had that, several cases of that. Guys, right that now. wasn't an option back in 07, 08, 09. Well, there especially was, with no credit hit. Good grief, right? Exactly, right. Why wouldn't I, you do that? It, well, of course you would. Or how about this? How about if you have your job? You're gainfully employed. You had no interruptions you to your income. You put your house into forbearance and you save a year's worth of payments in cash. Sure. Now it goes on the back end of the mortgage and, you know, guys be but real. it's still temporary breathing room. Right. It's, well, it's essentially you're allowing, if your house payment is, you know, $1,000 a month and you don't make it for the next 12 months, you still have to pay your property taxes and whatnot. Sure. But you've just saved $12,000. Right. Well, but so going back to the whole government intervention yeah. thing, the problem with really allowing, well, allowing, listen to me, but, you know, they're already going to do it. But when you have like a rent or eviction moratoriums or eviction, mm-hmm. what are they, what are they called moratoriums? Yeah. yeah. And you have those happening from the uh, state and city level that essentially those are the, that's just the courts basically saying, we're not going to do evictions even if the banks want to do them. Mm-hmm. So the uh, banks are going to maybe try to put, um, you know, push the ball down the field as far as foreclosures and whatnot, but they won't be able to because the local, um, you know, courts are going to say, nope, we're not going to, we will not yeah, process that case. That. So those people are going to stay in that house. And, and so this, I guess what I'm saying, guys, is there's a lot of uncertainty that's happening. There's a lot of, um, you know, it's kind of exciting because in all the gray area and all the noise, there's going to be opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're willing to, you know, stay in a mode of learning, stay in the mode of listening and always stay in the, you know, stay attached to your highest and truest purpose on this planet, which is being of service to other people. And that will be the underwriting, um, I think, motivation for you to always learn how to help people in different situations. You're going to find more opportunity in a market like this, not less. That's what's really exciting, I think. Yes, as long as you educate yourself so that you have that versatility, you know, the ability to deal with multitudes of different types of people in different types of situations. 
and you don't have you know the opposite mindset and we saw some of this during the um 2008 and where agents would be like oh i don't do short sales when you know you can't be i don't do this and i don't do that because well, they can. The, they mean, can. No, but I an guess if they're fantastically wealthy already. They well, can. no, an agent can reject learning things. <laughs> well, I mean, an agent can sure. re, an agent can reject. I was you speaking know, as a coach. Well, so. I understand, but I mean, you you <laughs> can run a very small business and just sure. essentially well, do you your could. two or three transactions a year. Of the types of deals you're comfortable with. Exactly, and that's and people. you'll just leave more opportunity for that's other people true. that are more ambitious than you. But there's, I, you know, you and I will say there's something wrong with that because that's the nature of who we are. Right. But you can't really say it's there's anything wrong with that. Well. It's Effectively, against the Harris rules, but aside from that. It is against our Harris rules. but <laughs> Which say, you should say, if you're smart, yes, it would be my pleasure to help you with that. And then go figure it out if you don't know how to do it. Yeah. You, you know. can't, you can't judge. But if, you're right. If you're you, more you ambitious can, than you know. somebody else, you okay. can't say you're better than them just Mm-mm. because you're more ambitious than them. No. There's there's some nice there's some nice aspects of not being ambitious, honestly. Well, sure. <laughs> for, the, for the three to five minutes we allow ourselves to be not ambitious per week. It's right. kind of a nice break. That's true. <laughs> right? I think we're sleeping then, but anyway. <laughs> we might be sleeping. <laughs> you're right. I slept. You're right. Yeah. It's just a little coaching. It's judgy. Out. It is. Yeah. Sorry. Julie. Lazy Sorry. people are a protected class. I forgot. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. They aren't yet, but they will be. <laughs> Maybe that's what all the mortgage forbearances are about. It could be. I don't know. <laughs> well, so there you go. That bottom but, line. But so those are the two th- ways it could go, and you look for signs saying it's going one way or the other. Right. And you make your choices and decisions based on what you're seeing. And really, guys, the bottom line is that you just have to. There's, there's no. This is what's going to happen next. There's no clear cut. Oh my gosh, there's going to be you know, inflation, or and this is what's going to happen, or there's going to be deflation. This is what's going to happen. What's going to probably happen is something that's never happened before. Yeah. That would be my guess. It's going to be, that would make sense. and they'll think of the, you already started seeing them throw around these you know words they've used stagflation or yeah. you know all They're this. Just trying to speculate and be right. Well, stagflation is where the economy doesn't grow, but uh, you know there's inflation and, and the cost of consumer items increases. It's like okay, I get it. That sounds like that's bad, right? Yeah. But you know there could be something completely different because of the, all the money printing and all the this and the other thing. And you know we talked about Should this be. on Friday. Mm-hmm. I, I really do think the thing that's being aside from you know the natural human spirits of wanting people will stay in their caves for only so long and then yes. they're going to be like I've had enough of that. That's what I was trying to say about the collective unconscious. Is there yeah. will be a time where you know we're getting on with this thing. That's right. You know and I think it's happening yeah. now. Yeah. But it, it's an it's a it's an undercurrent, right? Well, I think that's what's fueling some of the social unrest for sure, and that's definitely you know hopefully the start of something good and not the start of going down, you know, into a dark age type of thing. Which it's kind of like that dichotomy with with your uh, inflation and deflation is okay. So we could go either way here, people. We could we you could know, go we both could have ways. a renaissance, right. or we could have you know something that's not good we could, but you so. know that there could but be you, both you simultaneously have, that's right and and i've been studying this for future use on the regular weekly podcast there have been a lot of historians who have made it their thing to point out that hey look there still was a lot of cool stuff that happened even though it was the dark ages yep. there was still innovation you just didn't hear about it as much because dark ages has kind of bad, bad reputation <laughs> well there so, wasn't but, there but you can have little inklings of things of course w- the dark, so again, to your the point I think you're making now too is the dark ages. It sounds like it lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years, and um, and maybe it did. I mean, essentially, it ha- did you ever figure it out? Well, it wasn't that long, historically speaking, yeah, right? My, was um, it, like, do you remember my, how my long? My Google machine is busted right now, but your your GTS, um, your you Google know, it was hundreds of years. It was hundreds of years. Okay, so yeah. well, okay, 
again, I'm not a historian. So if it lasted hundreds of years, and if we're in a dark ages now, it won't last hundreds of years. Because one of the reasons it lasted hundreds of years before is because there was no easy way to communicate with other villages and towns. Yeah, exactly. You you may not have even left your village or your town. You only know your 10 people in your town. And they didn't know, then there was no modern medical anything. They didn't know that how the the plague was being passed around. They didn't know any of the things. There was no universal, you know, coinage, all these different countries. So what, what happened in Europe, as far as the Dark Ages, was a protracted period of historical pain, obviously. And because of the nature of modern civilization happening so much faster in every way you can possibly imagine, we could very well be going through a dark age right now, and we could very well be entering into what was it wasn't enlightenment, what was a renaissance, a renaissance, right? But and wasn't enlightenment, a, enlightenment, and then renaissance, right? And so that could be very well what we're entering into, and that's what Julie and I believe is going to happen. And again, we're not very obviously. We're sort of sputtering through, just trying to describe what we're thinking because it's a little Sunday. We it's Sunday. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Give Sunday. us a break. Yeah, but um, it's also because this has been a topic of ours um, for. I think uh, for the last month, Very because Sunday. we're trying to again find historical ideas of what's going to happen next, and we at least what could happen and what yeah. to look for. And I think this is the one we're hanging our hats on, though. Early warning signs. I'm liking this one. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. It's well, it's because ultimately, what does it lead to? Is it leads to uh, amazing? Well, look at all the. We talk about this every Sunday, and and people listen to us every Sunday, and mm-hmm. you know, it's in the week that goes between Sunday and Sunday. I see more and more reinforcing. Um, evidence of what we're saying is true mm-hmm. but look how essentially what would have taken 20 years to essentially worked itself out in our economy or socially or you know whatever are ha- is happening in a matter of months i know everything is like hyperspeed this year it is and yet in a good and way yet, too time seems to stand still sometimes yeah, well <laughs> You've got both at the same time but in terms of like technologically and psychologically i mean look what zoom is doing and you know we don't have to drill down on it because no. we do every sunday right. but it is pretty shocking how that, different but that shows how versatile people can be that's the point and how motivated they are and you know so yes i would agree with that well just the the word versatile right yeah ultimately people always go through remember when you and i did a whole bunch of training on this where we were talking about the the phases of grief right mm-hmm. and all of us went through the phases of grief and the phase do you remember them I, there's five and I don't have them off my head. You're doing this to me. I Bring know. My notes next Sunday, but I know. Um, you, well, it comes down to one of them is disbelief. Right? Well, the, the, what well, wasn't and the, fir- the first one? And... Right, but that's after you've been yeah. through the cycle. And so you guys should just Google it again. We're just sitting here. We're in Puerto Rico. We're outside, basically at the beach. You know, Green with parrots flying by. <laughs> we don't have notes, and this is our Sunday show. But you guys have all been, if not just group, you know, hit the GTS machine, Google that. S-H-I-T, and then look it up yourself. But we started presenting that information to you guys back in March because we really saw that we personally were going through the stages of grief with regards to the old um, way of doing things, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that you thought was normal was all of a sudden out the window. And then once we realized we were following that cycle, then we said, well, let's not screw around in this, you know, denial phase too long. Let's get right to acceptance so we can move past it. And that's what we did. So we didn't allow ourselves this protracted, you know, denial of mm-hmm. the fact that basically we are in this new well, world. Ultimately, it's not productive and it's not sustainable. It's right. exhausting to be in that zone. But now it's very rare. You guys, you guys remember all the Mickey Mouse that was happening on Facebook just a few months ago mm-hmm. and all these other places where people were expressing themselves? It was all rooted in denial. 
all these people that were conspiracy theorists and there's nothing wrong with the good, good conspiracy theory don't get me wrong i mean you could sure. that's always fun but there are so many people it's almost like a bulk of the people out there that didn't believe it thought it was fake thought it was all these other things mm-hmm. and then oh there's no it, it everyone was just saying you're not going to lock me up blah, blah, blah. and then what happens is they get through that and then they move on to this they move now there's still some people that are lingering back in the denial uh, phase of mm-hmm. you know stages of grief that's for sure and they'll stay there for the rest of their lives, a lot of them. Okay, that and that happened after that housing crash too. People yeah. never moved past right. it. Um, you know, you never heard from them again. They moved out in the middle of nowhere and are living on their and and who cares? It's great. That's that's a lifestyle. Again, not judging. Um, but what we're seeing, and this has never happened before, and I've never experienced it before, and there's never been a thing like this has happened in history. That's what's so cool about it, is you're seeing collectively we're all gone through the, these phases of you know of grief. And hyperspeed <laughs> well, in and months. Well, you know, what else is different about this is that the entire world is going through it at That's the right. same time. You know, this is not like, you know, this particular state is having this trouble or your business. This is everybody in the world. So that's different. Do you remember? Here, I'll tell you something. Yeah. I'm going to re- loop in a conspiracy the- theory just All to right. let them know that we're crazy. Let's see how you do it. Um, no, you're going to have to help me with the words because <laughs> okay. I haven't had enough caffeine. All right. The particle collider. Remember? Yep. And what country is that in? Surin. Switzerland. Surin? Surin? Switzerland, right? Yes. So you want to describe it? Oh, man, I'm throwing the, the hard spot? balls at no. you. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's a big machine that collides particles. Well, okay. Trying, Do you know what the, the um, purpose of it was? They were trying to find what was called the God particle. And I'm trying right, to which was just a, an Einstein which theory. Which was a, a theory. And the only way for them to find it was literally... To accelerate particles. It's like a big it, circle, it, circular thing underground. It wasn't just to accelerate them. It was to make them run into each other. Yes, and see uh, what would happen. And break them apart. Yeah. And the only way to break, run them into each other and break them apart was it to... It's called the Higgs boson. Yeah, that was the particle. Oh, okay. look at her. She's all cocky and proud That's of herself now. That's all I got, because... I'm nothing without GTS. Okay, well, then, <laughs> then just basically act like you know a bunch more than you yep. know. That's how I get through life. And here's what we'll do. You'll have to read more about that. Yes. <laughs> or or it's on our site. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're right. Those. That's yeah. what the... Okay. Yeah. So there's a conspiracy theory. You ready for this? Yeah. Okay. I don't think I know this one. Yeah, you do. Because we watched a movie about it. Oh, okay. That essentially when that thing was turned on... Uh-huh. I know we're going to sound insane after this conversation. <laughs> we're either going to pick up a bunch of listers or we're, we're going to lose them all. Off. <laughs> all right, so there's a theory that when that thing was turned on, mm-hmm. it actually caused um, – there, so there's multiple layers of um, – you find this, seriously. Google it. I don't think I've got so, the internet. So button. our reality mm-hmm. is existing oh, – right, that that caused the – What's the multiple – what's it called? multiple planes but it's not planes yeah um, so in the essence of yeah. the theory listeners is imagine like dimensions multiple, mu- multiple dimensions. dimensions so in other words you exist in multiple dimensions in multiple parallel universes people think that was from the collider yeah oh, that's the theory so but but here's the huh. thing let me finish the, the, mm-hmm. the conspiracy theory so there's parallel universes that are existing and again this goes back to more theoretical phys- phys- physicists and mm-hmm. i think einstein even theorized on this too um, so the idea that there's parallel universes and that um, essentially there's another version of you going on right now in a parallel universe, not just one, but potentially thousands, if not thousands, millions of parallel universes. And all these are happening at the same time. And but there's slight deviations in each parallel yeah. universe. So one parallel universe could be 
um, essentially your uh, your life is similar but not the same. You could be a little bit taller, a little bit nobody. Uh, these are all just theories, right? It's not like we've ever traveled there to see the parallel version of you. Well, so the theory is, the conspiracy theory was, after they turned on the particle collider, that what happened was we then skipped or jumped to a parallel universe. Mm -hmm. And then the people that were trying to prove that was true. Are you going to Google this? Cause I am, I'm getting it now. Here. Okay. Large Hadron Collider. No, no, you're going to land on. strike back. You're going to go on uh, science sites. If yeah. you go to conspiracy theory, particle collider, because here's the conspiracy theory, that we are not in the same universe that we were in before, that we have skipped to another one, um, and that the way you can tell is because things subtly changed, and you have memories of the uh, the reality of the universe that you were in before, uh, but you're not there anymore. And so... What like the, anomalies in the anomalies, code. Anomalies, right. Anomalies in the code, if you want to use, really go nerdball. And so some of these people were... Uh, and this happened right when they turned that thing on. And you, there was a lot of fringe science people that were using examples where people could collectively say, you're going to have to find some examples. I know. It's just really slow right now. Okay. Well, so there would be like, um, and once Julie pulls this up because her cell phone doesn't work very well where we are. Or you guys can just Google this yourself. And maybe you actually have memories of this too, where maybe there was a, a consumer brand. I think one of them was Jif Peanut Butter or something. Things like that. I know, guys, this sounds wackadoodle, but just bear with me, okay? Yeah. So there was Jif peanut butter, and then people would say, hold on, that was called something else last time I was in the store. And then they were going on the internet, and they were posting, what the hell happened? Wasn't this called this? And here's a picture of it. And then everyone else was saying, what are you talking about? I remember it being the same thing, too. Or, the, you know, something – I have the same shared memory as you have. But it wasn't just silly consumer items, too. It was all kinds of different things, like songs – that people collectively said were, uh, you know, the the verses were this, and now they're that. Where you could easily say, maybe I'm not remembering that right. Right, until exactly. You, like, thought about it. Right, but then the. I do remember that movie. Right, um, part of it. Again, so this was the theory, and so what could be very well happening, and you guys just Google this yourself. We've given you enough weird breadcrumbs Look to follow. Um, but yeah, the so the what I'm saying is, it could very well be that that's true. And what we've done is we've hopped to a parallel universe where time, where things move faster and ideas move faster. Well, it is 2020. Yeah, exactly. So would you even be remotely surprised to see that headline put well, out by, say, NASA or somebody? So no, the danger in a not. time like this is if you are trying to keep your thinking the same way as it was. Yeah. If you try to keep your thinking the same way it was and not realizing that your, your thinking process, how you see things needs to to a point in their lives where they think how they think, they do what they do, they believe what they believe, and that's it. <laughs> They're never going to have room for any new... And uh, that usually creeps in most people's lives by the time they're in their 40s. So when most people are in their 40s, they are what they are, and if you try to change who they are, they're just going to... you know, we, they we know They resist unless they are at the second phase of learning in you know the Maslow's hierarchy of learning, right, where they go to uh, conscious incompetence right where they know that they, they don't know something where they maybe had a life experience that's yep. caused them to want to you know get their learn back on and evolve but most people what they do is they just level off and that's you, you still if you think back to how maybe you were raised the people that were in your family and all the rest of it that's what most people do they get to a certain point and then that's it well that's really bad especially in a time like this where things are going to change really fast because if you did that 
pre-COVID, you were going to be left in the dust. People were going to, you know, you, you were essentially going to miss the opportunity to be fully engaged in life back when things were going slower. So what really, really I think pre-COVID and post-COVID is really going to show what it's going to be remembered as is speed. Yeah. That's what's going to be remembered as. The speed of bringing in, and now are you ready for this huge, amazing arch? See the Diet Coke sticking in. No, no, maybe leap. Okay, so our theory that we're entering into the uh, an enlightenment phase, Uh I think that is true, and I think what we're going to see is we're seeing the speed of it happening faster than we've ever experienced in our lives. Right. Right? That seems right. Right, and so what would have taken back in the dark ages, let's say, hundreds of years to work through. Sure. Now it's taking months. Because we have technology and things like that. And we all look for the obvious things. We I, all think, look... I think also because we all want it to go that way. I think so. That ultimately is the truth. That's the bottom line, what Julie just said. You know, it's true. And I think there's some power to that. It's built, in with, I it, see it it, with our, built into our DNA. I see it with our premier coaching members where sometimes I get off those calls and I'm like, you know what, these guys are the reason that things are going to be okay. Because, well, you know, they all, they want that positive. But you, you know. realize our premier coaching members are not a fair sampling no, of the I know masses. That. I know. Because they're people, when you are making a commitment and you're paying to be That's true. made uncomfortable, <laughs> when you choose to be on our premier coaching program and we're going to inundate you with, you know, challenging thoughts and things to learn, when you're paying to learn and you're voluntary, volunteering to be made uncomfortable so that for the sake of you learning, you're special. You're not a That's normal true. person. You're abnormal, matter of fact. That's the truth. You're, you're the 1%, yeah. at least no, not true. financially, but you're the 1% in how you but think. But I'm encouraged by that because yeah, there's too. so many of them. Right. You know, that's awesome. You guys will be the leaders, the, the people right. in every way. Don't Not just in your lit real estate education, right? But in every aspect, mm-hmm. look for the bizarre. Look for the things that you find just stupid. Look, I mean, that's what we do, and we share it with you guys on Sunday. You can't tell. <laughs> I would love for you to find some more of those consumer items that were supposedly changed uh, yeah, when the particle collider was be, turned that's on. A good Your phone really doesn't work? Yeah, you can't get it pulled wrong, up? It's on the wrong note. You know what? Hey, turn the Wi-Fi off. And I tried do, it. Oh, you didn't work? Yeah. And what's that silly cloud tracks business? Oh, it, so our Wi-Fi yeah. sucks. Got, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Listen. Turn your Wi-Fi off okay. and just use cell connection. That's the reason you're – and there's a hack for all of you guys. If you're ever having a hard time making your phone connect to the internet, turn your Wi-Fi off because what's happening is your Wi-Fi connection stinks and then allow the phone to use your cell connection and then your cell connection will um, make allow you to go on the internet. But the Wi-Fi basically prevents your cell connection from working, at least on an iPhone, gotcha. which sucks. I'm trying it. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes yeah, I have to upload things. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. See? Extra dimensions, gravitons, and tiny black holes. Oh, boy. Now we get to slide down the crazy hole. Now you've had it. <laughs> Come on. Just find... remember, it's your fault for fixing my phone. Jules, find the consumer I items because those are the funniest ones. And the lyrics because you're going to read it and you're going to go like, oh, yeah, I remember in the 80s when mm-hmm. you know the Bruce Springsteen song was this. I think actually one of the silly things was um, who's that gal from Friends that was dancing on the stage in the oh, Bruce Springsteen video? I know. I can't remember her name. I would think really pretty brunette yeah, gal, yeah, blue yeah. eyes, yeah, beautiful lady. Um, yeah, but anyway, so her uh, supposedly one of the things is, is that how we all collectively remember that scene in the video, which you can probably see in your head, right? She got she was yeah, someone yeah. in the audience. He pulled her up totally. on stage, and well, supposedly after the uh, article collider was turned on, that changed. 
something in the video changed. Don't Google that specifically. Just look for the other anecdotal things because they're really hilarious. But what if it's true, right? What if we are in some sort of parallel universe? You know what? We should probably save, you know, the whole um, Elon Musk theory that Mm -hmm. we're living in a hologram. (laughs) I'll have to spend some time going down this rabbit hole, but... Yeah. Google GIF peanut butter uh, uh, parallel uh, something or another. Just use better. Okay. Don't use scientific keywords. You'll never yeah. find anything. I'm not used to searching like this. so I know. Julie's <laughs> the weird stuff's from me. Well, so you guys get the point, right? Just if you can, just keep your mind challenged and, and don't allow yourself to be hardened to any new ideas. Um, because then you're going to essentially, you, you yeah. lose your versatility. Oh, she's finding some. You guys can hear her laughing. You're going to lose your versatility to learning new things. It's, you know, it's like the whole thing. Sometimes when I'm talking to people about EXP Realty and they're like. It's called the Mandela effect. Oh, there you go. When a collection of people have the same memory of an event that is either incorrect oh. or never occurred. Read the, read why it's called Mandela. Uh, um, and Mandela, by Mandela. the way, not Mandela. Sorry, Mandela. Mandela effect. Because um, it's named after um, Mandela. It's not okay. What happens when someone has a clear memory of something that never happened in this reality? Many of us, mostly totally strangers, remember the exact same events with the exact same details. However, our memories are different from what's in history books, newspaper archives, and so on. Um, the phenomenon got its name after several people swore that Nelson Mandela died while still in prison in the 1980s. They even vividly recall seeing clips of his funeral on television. He actually died in 2013. I, I have to say, I kind of remember that. See? I have to think about that. But but stop right there before you read another line. But you see how easily influenced your mind is into yeah. believing that you may or may not have seen that? I know. That? Well, how about Berenstein Bears versus Berenstein Bears? Yeah. They have books for kids. Well, give the examples. Um, Let's people... launch the conspiracy. Basically, everyone remembers the books as being spelled the Berenstein Bears, E-I-N. However, they were apparently never written that way. If you look at any of the books, they were actually written Stain, S-T-A-I-N. So how many... So... Why do so many of us vividly insist they were write, written Berenstein? He's always got some of those. I'll have to go look. Even more interestingly, <laughs> the incorrect spelling pops up in a series of places, um, <laughs> such as an old VHS on the TV channel Sprout. Um, some people, some biz, buzzkill false memory expert say uh, misremembering one letter doesn't necessarily count uh, because it's a common ending of many names, Einstein, Frankenstein, Goldstein, etc., um, foods and drink. The Jif peanut butter versus Jiffy peanut butter. Aha! Uh-huh. Now you're going to say you remember Jiffy, right? I think so. I'll well, see. You just shouldn't because it's not a thing. There's Jif and then there's Skippy, but Jiffy peanut butter does not exist. Despite a large portion of the population insisting we ate it growing up. It is also depicted on TV shows and cartoons. Um, additionally, people remember there being a dash in the candy bar Kit Kat, but there is not. Uh, Chick-fil-A is not spelled Chick-fil-A or Chick... It's not, it doesn't say what it is supposed to be. Fruit Loops or Fruit Loops. Anyway, lots. it goes on to talk about... Um, Had I never told movies. you about all this? I only... I do remember watching that movie. Um, I'll have to read the rest Maybe of it's the best I don't tell you about all the things I read. Now you've got me all distracted. We're going to have to wrap <laughs> up so I can look into this more. Right? Yeah. Well, but that's... But so, so why... How did we get on this tangent anyway? Thinking, Who knows? It's Sunday. You know, Who cares? Paying attention, thinking. Well, it's because you know. ultimately we might be very well experiencing, though not that. We might be experiencing something effectively that, you know, thousands How of years from now. How else would you explain 2020? I mean, there's so much weird in this year. A forced hard reset of everything that's that you think I'm, is normal. That's right. That's how I'm going to remember I it. I think so, too. Right? Everything you think is normal. That's right. Can you guys hear that? We're outside. For example. Can you guys oh hear that goodness. music? 
I think that's coming from a golf cart, too. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know. Horrible. Certain things just are not okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'm being judgy again. Super loud no, music no, no. going by. No, no, no. Puerto Rican rap music is horrible. It's fine if they like it. I just don't need them to share it. No, all the time. exactly. What's Loudly. the deal with. I don't understand. On a that. Sunday. Right. No. On a Sunday. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going to have to start blasting my Vivaldi and. Maybe it's because we don't know what the, they're saying. It could be. Because it's in Spanish. And we're struggling with our Spanish, let alone struggling with right Puerto well. Rican rap Spanish. Yes. That's 10 times harder. It is. And you did do really good yesterday. I was really impressed with your Spanish. Thank you. I'll tell you what we did yesterday, listeners. So Zoe, our daughter, (laughs) are we done talking about weird stuff? Yeah. No, no, definitely not. (laughs) But for now. (laughs) Our daughter. So we went to a, um, she goes to this, she does homeschooling with Mrs. Harris. (laughs) She has to call Julie Mrs. Harris when Julie's her teacher, which is amazing because she actually sort of does it. Sort of. And uh, then after that, there's this camp that essentially happens every day where the kids are hanging out with other kids and then they go to the beach and they're supposedly going to continue it even after school goes back. So, you know, little kids like Zoe have something to do other than just sit around, look at their iPads and try to remember if it's Jiff or Jiffy. (laughs) Well, so one of the things they did on Friday was they had a talent show and um, the talent show There's I don't know, maybe there weren't that many kids, 20, 30 kids. Probably. Yeah. 20 something kids. And uh, the whole show was put on by the kids. They made up everything that happened there. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys know what I'm talking about. Kids, when they're trying to perform, when they're actually, when they actually practice something. These kids go from like four to probably maybe 12 years old. There was a a tiny little human. What is she? Probably four, maybe younger. That was doing that. What's that song? Um, Old Town Road. Old Town Road. (laughs) And she had this little cowboy hat on. That little kid. How tall do you think she was? Two and a half feet tall? Smaller than Zoe. So she's She was smaller than Zoe. Right. And Zoe's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. It was so flipping cute. Yes, it was awesome. I mean, she had she was doing like the gunslinger steps, and I how do you she get a kid to do that? Going. I don't know. It's unbelievable. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> she was the opening act. Well, so we we were watching all this, and and Zoe was um, Zoe's pretty much a spaz all the time. Yeah, she can con- in Spanish her her nickname was Suave, and if you guys speak Spanish, that means calm, chill, and chill, yeah. right? And yeah. there, in, when she was in kindergarten, basically there was something called the chill chair or the Suave chair, <laughs> and it's this little chair that was in the corner of her kindergarten room. They were and, intimate friends, and ju- basically they were thinking about renaming that chair the Zoe chair. The Zoe chair. Okay. She visited it so frequently. So we can actually still su- say Suave to her, and it does seem to have some sort of like a little root- bit of effect, right? <laughs> For about but, thirty seconds. So she's. Uh, we go to this uh, talent show, and she's hanging all over us, like needing to be, you know, reinforced. And I thought she was sick because she only acts like that when she's not feeling good. And she was just, you know, hanging on her mom, and she wasn't spazzy. And then she sat in this little chair in front of us. Calmly. Calmly, Weirdly. which never happens. <laughs> and and w- while these other kids were performing, and, of course, Julie and I are clapping and laughing and we figured Zoe was going to be performing with some group of kids, you know, coming up. And it was just going to be her being a spaz in front of everyone like yeah. she normally is. So we were watching this whole thing and she just keeps on looking over her shoulder and she's looking at me and I was clapping and really enjoying these little kids performing. And she kept on looking over her shoulder at me and she did it like enough times. Yeah. That she was noticing the fact that I was giving praise and to all these little kids. And she wasn't jealous that she was just being observant of the fact that we were really enjoying the talent show, okay? And then, you know, one group of kids, next group of kids, and all of a sudden they say, and next up is Zoe, and she's going to perform 
Stairway to heaven. Stairway to heaven. <laughs> right? <laughs> Remember, all of this was chosen by the kids. Yeah, Zoe chose this. So let me give a little color to that. Right. The only reason she knows anything about this not exactly six-year-old song is because we were looking at something on my phone before bed. I think I was doing maybe Facebook or looking at some friends, something or other, and this flash mob thing came up. Yeah. If you guys don't know what a flash mob is, look it up. But um, And it was a beautiful, beautiful rendition of Stairway to Heaven. It was incredible. People I haven't dancing, shown it to you. right? Um, singing, it was the whole performance. In fact, the, um, the famous guitar solo... Um, yeah. A guy, you know, flash mobs are basically everything looks normal and then it becomes a production. Right. Um, so the guitar soloist comes out of a DHL truck. Oh, yeah. Like he's a delivery guy. Yeah. And just breaks out into this incredible. Yeah, I'll, sh- I'll have to show it to you. Yeah. But anyway, she's watched this twice. Yeah. And she just always talks about what a beautiful song that is. And so that's what she chose to quote perform, which you and I didn't even know what she was going to we do. We didn't know what she was no going idea. to do. We didn't know how much it she did. kid's summer camp. And her little kid head. Yeah. And it was just a kid's summer camp. And so we go to this, you know, talent show. It was, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon on Friday. And, you know, it's a golf cart ride right away. And it, it's fun. It's a nice break. Um, and so Zoe is, like I said, she's acting like she's something wrong with her. She's sick. We're at this talent show. She's calm. She's suave without yeah. us having to Strange. make her suave. Um, so then they say, Zoe now is going to come perform Stairway to Heaven. And so she gets up there in front of this group of adults and kids. And she starts, and they start playing Stairway to Heaven. Now, fortunately, it wasn't all of the verses because that is it's a like long. It's like a nine-minute song. And yeah. it was hot out. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she would that would have been yeah. torture she for She did everyone. like a minute and a half, I think. But then she starts going up there and doing these beautiful, what do they call, pirouettes? Yeah, all these dance moves. And, and all these dance moves that, she, that she basically had practiced on her own. Yes. That didn't, she didn't tell us about it. We didn't know what she was going to be doing. Interpretive and, dance. And she was doing this interpreted dance. She was combining some superhero poses. With, <laughs> no, right? Hilarious. You know, these, that she, what's that comic she learned the superhero poses from? Oh, Lady, or, oh, I can't remember. The, PJ Masks. PJ Masks. Right. That one, yeah. So she was doing these superhero poses combined with these, <laughs> ball, she, she had taken a little bit of, you know, ballet, ballet classes back when we lived in Texas. And but it all, it all totally went it, with uh, the music. And it was I beautiful. Mean, and I, was, I couldn't, like, she goes up there and she's this nervous little thing. Thing, super calm and that's not normally Zoe at all if we've not made that clear so she goes in front of this big group of people totally completely suave they put on this song and she starts doing this dance and I can't stop crying because <laughs> I was not expecting it and it was so flipping beautiful yeah and it was just beautiful and then I saw her looking over at us she was mostly looking at the other kids to see what the other how the other yeah, kids were reacting they were accepting her. and so all the other productions had been clapping your hands and very Crazy you know stuff. demonstrative and glorious and here's Zoe which up would there normally doing, have been her way right totally and then she's doing this beautiful rendition this Zoe version of this ballet and this you know whatever you guys get the idea it was unbelievably beautiful it wasn't very long like julie said probably less than two minutes and everyone claps and everyone's really like wow that's amazing and bow at the end yeah and then she does this huge (laughs) bow at the end which i'd seen her do the bow before because she does it with us when she's performing for us at home and it's just this really i mean julie you should post that on our facebook page i don't know if i want to share it all that I don't know. Yeah, Personal, you should. You should. Yeah, stuff, maybe. on our maybe. on our on our members only on our Facebook members page. Only yeah, page. for yeah. those that are listening. If enough of you guys say you tell Julie on the premiere coach and call you want to see the video and we'll post right. it. Yeah. 
So she does this little, you know, bow at the end, and then she comes back over to us. She doesn't even run over to us. She just walks back over to us because she wants to. She's she's obviously taking in the applause, right? <laughs> <laughs> she's not trying to rush her moment. I know. She she accepts all of the praise. I mean, in her little kid mind, she might be seeing people throw, you know, big groups of flowers up on the stage, <laughs> and sure. I don't even know what, right? So she comes over to us and we give her hugs and kisses and it was, you know, then they went out to the next group of kids. But that's what she was, she was being pensive about her little performance. And right. And it was we, interesting to watch. And then we watched another group of kids and then um, in, the thing is over. And so Zoe and I, I'm holding her little tiny hand and we're walking, past, walking back to the golf cart and, you know, I was blown away, obviously. And Julie was blown away, too. Julie hung back to, you know, talk to some of the other moms. And I, so I'm walking Zoe back to our, our golf cart. I said, Zoe, you made me cry because I was so proud of you. And she goes, Dada, there's two kinds of cries. There's happy cries and there's sad cries. Which cry did you have? And I said, happy cry, Zoe. And, and, and she goes, and then she, like, grabbed my hand even harder and squeezed it even harder. That was very sweet. That's unbelievable, you know? I mean, that's... I'm, yes. I feel emotional now just telling the I know. story. It's, it's the ones that surprise you, I think, that, that kind of sneak up on you and yeah. do it differently. But, yeah, so you started telling that story because yesterday we were out getting her donuts for her Oh, that's reward. right. So we're, so we're, that's right, because yeah. now, see, Julie wants me to brag on her. That's the reason she was looking oh, no, back no, into no, the no. story. I'm, that's what we're doing I'm just here. just closing the loop is all. That's what we're doing here, listeners. So we're in this long line because we promised Zoe after that that we were going to get her donuts, right? Because she loves – I mean, she's six. What kid doesn't love donuts? Yes. So we're in this long line at Krispy Kremes. And, of course, we get up to the – you know, we're not going in. It's a drive-thru. And and no, we don't frequent Krispy Kremes, but damn, those things are good. (laughs) Holy crap. I mean, I can see – honestly, I can truthfully see why fat people choose to be fat. Yeah. Yeah, you get to eat stuff like Krispy Kremes. Absolutely. I mean, seriously, I totally get it. I know. They're yummy. I mean, you and I doing low carbon exercise every day. I think they're like 20 times as yummy because of that. Uh, but I'm just saying, yeah. I understand why someone yes. would choose not to exercise and be low carb every day. I Absolutely. can understand because the payoff of the Krispy Kremes and getting to eat what you want to eat. I'm hungry now. I think there's at least three left too. So <laughs> no. I'll see you later. <laughs> no, I'm sure there's none left because Zoe. Between Zoe and well, Nana. so we get these donuts for Zoe as a surprise, and and we get up to the drive-through, and of course they don't speak any English, and they're they're speaking. And what's worse is they'll speak, they'll say things perfectly in English, and then when you try to answer in English, they have no idea what the hell you're saying. Which is my problem in Spanish, by the way. I can start the conversation, but then the answer. It's like when you're learning scripts, right? You can you can memorize your first line, right? But when somebody lays something on you, especially when they speak so fast, yep. you kind of are like deer in the headlights. So, I mean, I've, I've got some survival Spanish going, but if they're talking too fast, forget it. Puerto Rico might technically be part of the United States, <laughs> but let me tell you, folks, it's not. No, most of the time it's not. <laughs> Puerto Rico really is like its own country. And most people here speak some English. And if you're, you know, if you're in the hotel area and whatnot, you'll run, pretty good. I, I, I pe- think some of them are required too. But in most, for the most part, you can get away with just speaking English here. But you're going to be at a huge disadvantage if you don't speak some Spanish. Yeah. That's my problem. But I have, I have a, what we call an Ask Julie <laughs> I'm going to start charging you for that. So my Ask Julie is a situation where basically she's my translator. And Julie actually has picked up amazingly quick her Spanish. She Her mom was a Spanish teacher, but she was never that fluent in it. But So we're in this drive through And while Julie's under pressure trying to, you know. Why well, do have my app, too? Trying to tell this uh, 
gal who doesn't speak really any English, which she wants, Julie all of a sudden breaks out this perfect <laughs> Spanish that I, I like look over at her like, what the hell are you speaking? And uh, it's because she was properly motivated because she had to speak it because we had to get the donuts for, the, for Zoe. That's right. <laughs> and it worked out brilliantly. But well, that was impressive. Thank you. I, I only can really do it under pressure. Yeah. But you start to lace things together. Like if we were trying to get a, a mixed box. I remember the word for box is caja because I had to talk to the trash guys about how many You know you just walked have. past a perfect coaching moment, by the way. What was that? You said you only remember what basically under you're supposed pressure. to say under yeah. pressure. Yeah, right. That's true. But if you didn't know what to say under pressure, you you would then I would have recalled it. You have this. You knew yeah. what to say. It was in your head already. Yes. Because you'd practiced because it of and a you previous experience. Right. Yes. And yes, co- that's and, right. You have to immerse yourself into this. And so that's just make, like listening presentation. It absolutely is. I appreciate your your segue to that because, you know, you have to be in situations to have to learn stuff, for it to actually settle into your brain this is the same reason why uh, vacation memories are so vivid right is because you're out of your own sandbox right and you're having to navigate you're doing well you're things. present you're present your adrenaline's probably a little bit higher and so i i find for me i i'm absolutely experiencing that with spanish here because i'm actively having to do something about it um but i i absolutely see that i see it with coaching clients you know it's like we're talking about the the scripting i never appreciated uh like, I know I can start a sentence, but they answer me and I get confused. But I also see it with native Spanish speakers who are trying to learn English, and they'll say something that's good enough that I think they know English. And then I'll say something and they clearly are just using a translator, right. which then takes it full circle to how I must be to them. Right. And so the good thing about Puerto Rico is that they're very forgiving and you don't have to say anything perfectly. Oh, Puerto Ricans are amazing full of, people. of uh, Spanish slang and they yep. know it. It's different than like when you go to Paris and French people actually do expect you to have your French going. Or, and or if they speak, if, if the Parisians don't, right, they won't, they speak English, but they won't speak English to you. No. Right. And they won't, they'll just, you know, like you don't exist. They're really. rude, basically. The <laughs> but, rumors, uh, the rumors yeah. of the of, of French. Now, with that said, not all of them are. And some of the, in Julie's family, Julie's uh, essentially her, not even that many generations ago are French people. Uh, but when you go there, if you can just learn a little bit of conversational uh, French, then they're going to love on you. But if yeah. you go to... Uh, if you per- expect them to speak English, then right. they, they have an attitude That's where they that. resent it. Right. And that, I don't get that here. I but think, I, res- yeah. I actually appreciate that. I mean, that. they're very... Uh, remember, French people are very, very protective of their culture. Right. To the point where... They basically let Hitler in the front door and said, don't mess with our crap. Don't, Not, don't, don't destroy don't Paris. Don't destroy our monuments. Right. You know, come on in. Just don't burn the place down while you're doing it. Right. Don't bomb it. And that's why there's places, like, it's different than when you visit, um, like, London. Remember when we were in London and you'd have a historic building? I'm going to loop you back. Then you'd have a modern building. And then you'd have a bombed out lot that never got rebuilt. Right. Paris is not like Well, most that. of London was bombed out. When you go to most of London, essentially what you're looking at are stuff that were built post-war. There's yeah. virtually nothing Lots that was of there. Lots 60s and 70s architecture. And which some of the stuff from the 70s, that postmodern Just stuff is hideous. Bueno. The ugliest buildings you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Some are in, like, where's that that place that you, uh, you. Guildhall. Guildhall. No, was it Guild or The Hague Guild. or where was it? No, it was Guildhall, the music place. Yeah. Julie used to be a classical musician, in case you guys didn't know that, but that's for a different day. No, the, the point I was trying to make with regards to what you were just saying mm-hmm. is the power of learning while you earn. Yes. Right? It's so much more powerful than it, trying to pre-study it and think that you're going to be ready. Exactly. So if you when you yeah. guys sign up for our coaching program, we don't want you to take the time to learn it and then apply it. We want you to actually 
learn while you earn. So in other words, go out there and put yourselves in situations where you're going to be forced to apply what you just read or learned from um, our coaching program because then you're going to learn it a lot faster because of that external pressure. That is the way that rock stars um, yeah. learn anything. And when you're li- when you're trying to a- apply the learning while you earn thing, you know, think of Julie's you know at line at, at Krispy Kremes, right, mm-hmm. where she's put put under all this pressure to say the right thing in such a way that she's able to accomplish the goal. How many of you guys are doing that right now and making yourselves uncomfortable in really any way? And it, it's a, again, it goes back to the point we were talking about before. Most people, when they reach a, a certain age, mm-hmm. they stopped trying to make themselves uncomfortable. They fight to stay complacent. Yeah. I see it here with people who have moved here and don't try to pick anything up. They are more... Uh, they have more consternation. They're they're a little bit. They don't make they're it. Not they move back happy. to the they states. Yeah. They move back to the mainland. But it's their fault. It's not the culture's fault. It's That's because right. They didn't uh, go after it, you know. And I I think there's probably a lot of people that fail out of real estate because they're too stuck. You know, they're they're too fearful. They they don't want to. They want to make real you know, estate like them. They want to be like uncomfortable. Right. They want to make real estate like them. Right. They're not willing to adapt to essentially what real yeah. estate is, which is requires immense amount of versatility. Yeah. That's right. And maybe it's because they don't have the uh, motivation of the potential wrath of Zoe finding out she doesn't have donuts. But, well, but uh, I think that you have to be, you know, we talk about it on the regular podcast, you have to be willing to hear no. You have to be willing to have a little bit of conflict. You have to be, you know, uncomfortable. And the, the two things that I found have been most valuable coaching wise with agents is getting them into a place of being of service, prevailing predominantly. Because even if you don't know exactly how to deliver that, your mind's in the right place you'll figure it out um and then just being willing to say yes it'd be my pleasure to help you and realizing that expecting yourself to know everything about everything before you do anything is an expression of ego yeah why is it an expression of ego because how can you expect yourself to be a perfectionist i mean what is this saying even jesus wasn't a perfectionist so who are you to think that you can do that too and and in fact the consume the homeowner doesn't actually expect you to know everything. They're just asking questions. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm going to get you an answer. Let me call you tonight. Well, that's the reason that's our okay. premier coaching program has a daily semi-private coaching we, call. We resolve a lot of those questions. Yep. We get a lot. I mean, I I always tell the story when they when they have some consternation about this because especially from grizzled veterans who are like, God, I'd never heard of that before. Um, I will never forget. We were just. You know, pounding out the closings, lots and lots of deals, and I, I was. This getting is when little, we sold real estate. When we sold real estate, and I was getting a little attitude, like I must have seen everything, right? And then I don't know if you remember this, but one of our sellers, uh, I, I, we had a split closing because they were relocating out of state. I get a call from the buyer's agent. I'm in the house. Your seller took all the carpet. Oh, I do, New Albany. And I'm like, I don't have a script for that. That what never you, what, happened. What do you mean? took the carpet he did he took the carpet okay. now like we had sold a lot of old houses before we're taking the carpet up you'd have hardwood floors and that was a good thing no. and we talked about it no this house was like five years old yeah and i remember sitting there like a stun gun talking to this Who buyer's does that? agent he's like yeah my buyers have a three-year-old kid there's carpet tacks all over the place and i i just remember like i was actually speechless because i'd never heard of anything like this and the seller wasn't dissatisfied about? with the transaction either. No discussion about it. Right. Okay. Well, as it turns out, there was some kind of carpet warranty from the builder where it was getting restretched, but he didn't bother to tell anybody. Okay. But I remember calling him and he was kind of difficult through the transaction. And, and uh, I said, so I'm just curious why you took the carpet because I didn't know what else to say. And he, he was kind of obnoxious. He's like, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't. 
And I said, well, I didn't tell you that you couldn't take the furnace, but you left that, so help me understand what's going on here. And this was like this whole back and forth. But that's because I thought I had heard it all, okay? Um, and remember when we're like some of our coaches training, we would sit around playing, like talk that real estate story. We've got so many stories. I've got that collection. That's probably my next book. Yeah, like for my sure. blue shoes story. Craziest, craziest since <laughs> most. Our friend Monica who hold, held the wrong open house open. Yeah. <laughs> the sellers came up or they, they weren't sellers. It was just like the neighbors of the actual sellers, one of these subdivisions that yeah. had, you know, all the houses look the same. And they walk into her open house. And they're like, who are you? So there's lots of great stories like that. One so of my you, favorite ones, yeah. the, the cat one, right? Oh, my gosh. Should I tell them that now? Yeah, yeah. The cat story's hilarious. So I was showing buyers. This was, I remember the house. It was on uh, North Broadway in Clintonville. Cute little old house, uh, screened and porch on the back. And there were little sticky tags everywhere that said, don't let the cats out, right? So I'm letting it. This is a little first-time buyers coming in. And I'm letting them wander around. There's these, these stickers everywhere. So I'm always looking for cats, right? Making sure the doors aren't open. What's going on? So we're, we see the house, we're walking out the back screened in porch, and I see a couple of cats in the porch. So I gather the cats up, I put them in the house. Okay, we're on to the next showing. About an hour later, <laughs> the listing agent calls. And she's like, what the hell? Do, who do you think you are? I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you were the last one to show the North Broadway house, right? I'm like, I guess it was like an hour ago. She goes, well, you let those cats in and they kick the crap out of my seller's cats those are neighborhood strays everybody there's fur flying everywhere and i'm like i didn't know which cats were which i'm trying to do the right thing and now we have like cat mageddon because i had you know tried to be good and six months later they had kittens <laughs> right <laughs> so, like you just cannot make this stuff up no i mean it's it crazy. is crazy right but that's life isn't it <clears throat> Is that what makes life There's fun? There's so many more stories. I know you got me going, but yeah. There are. Yeah, I'll save some of them for the book. Um, yeah, I mean, one of our one of our premier coaching members has a situation where she's got the house good and sold. It's closing in a week. And there is a relative of the seller who has lived in the oh, basement yeah. for not 10, not 20, but 30 years without making a payment to anybody. And she's trying to figure out how to get him out of there. You know, the, like, how do you work that into a deal? What you do right? is you close that basement door. <laughs> what basement? And you forget what basement, right? Well, and you forget about it. Like a modified cash for keys for tenants or something. And <laughs> usually money gets people to move. But so, you know, and, and so now in her head, that's going to be added to the pre-qualification script, right? <laughs> so is there anybody else we need to take into consideration with your move? You know, you learn this stuff. The, the The reason we remember this is because they were hard lessons. But you know what? You're actually touching on something that's really valuable. You know, it's the old, you know, smart man learns from his mistakes. A brilliant man learns yes. from the mistakes of others. And you can even say beyond that, a, a really brilliant man's going to learn the mistakes of others through essentially like coaching and training. I mean, sure. that ultimately that's is the purpose of it. Makes for great you not classes. Because you not only get the accumulated effect of Julie and I's experience, which compared to the accumulated effect of all the, I don't even know how many coaching clients we've had. Tens of thousands, honestly, mm -hmm. tens of thousands. We've personally had hundreds of thousands of coaching calls. If you factor in all the other things that we've done, it's really ridiculous how much agent speak we have had in our lives. Crazy. But that accumulated experience, somebody can you know attach themselves to that through our premier coaching program mm -hmm. and think about the learning curves that they can skip. Absolutely. It absolutely shortens the learning curve. It's kind of like... A condensed experience that's right you know because i do think that a lot of agents and it's not just newly licensed agents it's agents that just you know maybe certain types of deals make them nervous they it's because they have an experience deficit they haven't gone through that they haven't learned that lesson yet they live in fear of the unknown 
So when you listen to enough of the premier coaching calls, the, the point of it is you then will say, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I put that on my checklist. And when I have to deal with that, I'm going to know exactly what to do. Right. And that has a lot of value. At least I hope it does because we spend a lot of time on it. Um, but yeah, you can borrow from other people's experiences. So the old way that many agents, and this is the reason that so many 85% or something of all agents fail within 18 months, there's a, a, a fact, a statistic that unfortunately doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But so what, what's with the 15%? What's with the 1%? Why is it that so many more, you know, what's the deal with that? I think ultimately it comes down to the two things that Julie and I talked about today. Your willingness to basically push forward um, and make yourself uncomfortable and then being smart enough to attach yourself to something that's going to you know, essentially accelerate your ability to learn, your ability to apply the skills. And it, it, we're in this weird, you know, as we've tried to explain a parallel <laughs> universe type thing that's been brought on by this pandemic where everything that would have normally taken 20 years to happen in our country and globally is now happening in months, in a year. And so I think really you're going to see a continued pace. That pace is not going to slow down. It's going to increase. And that's the thing I I guess I was trying to express earlier Mm -hmm. is that the rate of change in times like this increases. Um, It's not going to, okay, thank God we can all slow down now and take a breath. That's not going to happen because more and more things are going to evolve and change as a result. And we always talk on Sunday about education, college, you know, because we have a little kid and we're thinking about private schools and we're thinking about all that and, you know, college student loan debt and all that stuff. But all of that stuff now, how much of it's going to be relevant now in six months? How many of you are going to go back to believing that college has the same value now that essentially that, you know, $30,000 a year undergraduate degree can be obtained on Zoom and the credential, the credentialization on the other side of that's the same. The accreditation is the same. How many of you are going to be go back to actually believing that college is worth what people were paying? I'm not. I'll never do it. And you guys heard on the Sunday podcast, if you listen on a regular basis, Julie was the one struggling with that because she comes from, you know, her parents were oh, school sure. teachers. and I think colleges are doing a lot of this to themselves by not being flexible on the fees. I've heard from so many coaching clients that have, you know, like – freshmen, juniors in, in uh, college, and the college is saying, nope, you're going to pay the same for virtual as you do for you know normal school. And they're like, I don't think so, especially the private schools. I mean, right. we've got coaching clients who are paying like 50, 60, 70 grand a year. It's crazy. Are you going to do that for virtual? Really? I've had coaching calls. I mean, you calls. could have a thousand apps for that. I've had coaching calls with people, That's... Julie, mostly with our age, people our age, yeah. who they basically, they're proud of themselves because they're able to pay for their kids' college education. Yep. Okay, Great. And, but they have no flipping money saved for themselves. And they're in their 40s. They're, they're in their 50s. They've, they're paying for their kid's college education. And the kid is getting a degree in pottery, basket weaving, women's studies uh, of the, you know, That's whatever the, the hell it was, right? They don't, it's, communications, they don't even have it anymore. Now it's even a little bit bizarre. So what you're seeing is you're seeing all these uh, adults who have essentially, it was a status thing to say I'm paying for my kid's education. Even be, even if it resulted in them not having how many savings or being ready to someday maybe make it so they don't have to work as hard, right? Yep. That is a, and I would always say to them, look, it's a nice thing you've done. And then I always ask them, did somebody pay for your college? And the answer is almost always no. No one paid for mine. I had to pay for it myself. And then I'll say, well, how much money do you actually have saved? For your retirement, and the answer, especially with real estate people, is always almost none. 
Yeah, and, they're not but, putting their own mask on first. Right. And I just – so, okay, I get it. That's a thing. It was a status thing. That's something you felt challenged to do. You're because anti-education. You're, you're no. just pro take care of yourself first. Well, I'm, I'm anti the amount of money that people have basically been fleeced out of yeah. for these essentially worthless degrees for as long as they've – and the amount of really human hardship that's come as a result. Well, you know what's weird about that? I've always thought this. You know, you go to finance even a car – and there's some level of pre-qualification for the payment that you're qualified for, right? Right. You go to finance a house, they want to know about your ratios and your job history and all these types of things. But you remember, even even back when we were going to Ohio State, there would be these huts from Visa and MasterCard where they, you know, they would uh, give you instantly a credit card. Why? Because you didn't have any credit yet. They figured you're a good risk. But now it's even worse because kids can get all these crazy student loans. And does anybody say, you know, like, what is your ability to pay that back when your degree is in something that's clearly not going to pay? So what you're hearing it and doesn't this doesn't even make any sense. So if you guys listened to the podcast on Sunday, especially if you were listening back in you know March, April, when Julie and I started having these conversations, you guys will remember, will remember that Julie was like, nope, kids going back to school. We're going to follow this traditional path. I'm close minded. This is how it's going to be. She'd, you know, She's give me it. Yeah. Oh, I know. And then and then what happened over time is Julie was able to adapt to the new reality that, well, maybe that whole uh, lifestyle or that whole sort of you know social expectation of uh, normal school maybe it's not necessary anymore and now she's come full circle on it how many of you guys are still trying to attach yourselves to way th- the way things were and real without realizing it'll never go back to that way not because of covid okay covid was the thing that sort of sped everything up no doubt and if you guys are hearing wind it's because there's a breeze <laughs> okay because we're outside but how many of you are still trying to attach yourselves to these old ways of thinking and these old ways of being i am always uh looking out in within myself where am i where's my thinking faulty where is my how am i how are we doing business in such a way that's going to hold us from back from embracing whatever comes next or you, you guys get the point of all this i think intuitively you all do and that's when i look at it specifically when i drill back down to what we do for a living which is a real estate coaching and training business and then i start thinking how many agents out there right now statistically are actually thinking like what we're describing and i already know the number it's like less than five percent of you so that means there's 95 percent of you that are believing that things are going to go back to quote unquote normal there's 95% of you that think that actually there's going to be um, some return to a, the way that you are familiar and comfortable with living. And it's not. And not because of COVID, but because people have different expectations now. It's, it's sort of like just making this really plain. Do you guys remember, and some of you don't, I get it, CDs. And even before that, tapes. Yeah. Like when Julie and I were in high school, you had cassettes, right? And again, I know some of you may have seen a picture of a cassette once in a museum, but, you know, cassettes were what you listened to music on. And you go to something called a music store to buy your cassette. Yes. Or your record. I saw a hilarious thing on Facebook about, this is a couple of British kids, that their parents were like our age. They were like 12, you know, and the dad I saw that too. the tape. And he's like, okay, show me how you listen to this. Yeah. And, like, they thought the holes must be where the, the you plug in your earphones. Right. And then they were, like, really, really mortified when the tape came out and they couldn't get it back in. <laughs> it was hilarious. Well, so now let's fast forward. Then we went, how quick did we go from tapes, you know, to DVDs, 
to CDs. You know, I'm sorry I'm mixing all this historically when things one one thing came and another thing went. But now you're not even if you have to the idea of not having anything streamed to you. Right. Imagine if you were 20 years ago and someone said you're going to be streaming things from your phone. You guys are streaming this podcast from God knows where. Right. I mean, I we're the doing first this. iPod weighed like five pounds or something. Yeah, thing was a brick. it was a brick. Right. Well, so that same you will never go back to listening to a tape. Right. You would never think to go back and listen to a tape or listening to a CD. You would never do that. You would never go to a music store because they don't exist anymore. That same exact thing is happening with everything in our lives right now, not just with music, right? So I use the example of music and you say, okay, I can kind of relate to that. Now use that same exact thing is happening on with every single aspect of your life. You're just not realizing it yet. And, and neither am I because there's all this change that's happening. That's happening from a, um, you know, that hasn't really shown itself yet but you can see that people's behaviors are going to require that there'd be an adaptation from a business perspective that will never that'll never go back so people are never going to go back to listening to tapes or records maybe for nostalgic reasons but business wise you're going to see um you know look at commercial real estate for example how many commercial office spaces are there that'll never go filled again look at for example all these all these brands all these consumer brands that were essentially only in existence because people were purchasing their products primarily from shopping malls. And what's going to happen with shopping malls? I, I hope you know there's some rendition that comes back because they're nice places for social gathering and whatnot, but they're probably not. So th- those businesses that were never, o- never investing enough on their online presence, what's going to happen to them? Now that their honey hole, their one spoke, as it were, or their primary revenue driver, which were retail stores, they're effectively, if you're in California, those retail stores have been closed for basically five months. And do you think they're going to come back? Now, they won't because people's behaviors have changed. In that, in, in those months that have happened, people that would have been going to your store to buy your product have now adapted to buying a similar product or maybe your product online. Their behavior will not go back. You're not going to go back and start listening to cassettes again. Your behavior now has forever been changed. And that's the thing that's really fascinating. Because then when you start thinking, well, okay, what does that leave? You know, what will that actually look like? How am I, what, what does this mean? I don't have all the answers. I really don't. But I'm excited to find out. I'm excited to find out the ramifications of people moving out of the cities and people moving back into more rural settings. I'm excited to find out what it means for people to basically say, you know what, I don't have to drive to work anymore. I don't want to have all the stress and strain to deal with that anymore. I'm excited to find out what's going to happen when there's a vaccine or a working you know, therapy uh, for the coronavirus. I'm, I bet you what we're going to see, and this is what we really truly believe, there's going to be the biggest human renaissance, age of enlightenment, whatever the hell you want to call it that it's ever been before. There's going to be a celebration of the, in the cure to the virus. There's going to be also, I think, people coming out of the, you know, essentially being in lockdown mentally, emotionally, and financially for so long. And you're going to see a lot of people then that are going to start saying, you know what, I never am going to go back to living like I did before. There's no more virus anymore. I now am going to approach life differently than I did before. I'm not going to allow myself to be so locked in, hemmed in, because I'm trying to, you know, basically follow these social norms that have been what I've essentially 
been following my entire life. And that means there's going to be people that are not going to want to live in neighborhoods like they've lived before. They're not necessarily going to believe what they believe before, not necessarily going to be so politically, you know, involved as they were before. And then there's going to be things that are going to happen on, on the dark side too. So these are all the things that you guys need to be thinking about. Challenge yourself and start with the assumption that everything that you have, that you think is going to be normal is going to change. So if you start with everything's going to be different, Every aspect of your life is going to be different in a good way, right? Start with those types of thoughts. Then you start feeling excited because then you start seeing, well, you know what? I never really was that, you know, pleased with the fact that I had to, you know, I use the example of like dry cleaners, for example. How many people would get clothes dry cleaned if they didn't actually physically have to go to work? How often do you wear something that you just in a normal life that you're then going to have to have professionally cleaned? Does that even happen? It doesn't, does it? So what's going to happen to all those dry cleaners? I don't know. What's going to happen to all those retail stores? I don't know. You guys get it? Start, start challenging yourself to think way into the future. And it's, it's a little bit liberating because it can be kind of exciting. And I always go back on these Sunday shows specifically because I am and Julie and I are so in gratitude for uh, EXP Realty. And truthfully, EXP Realty is something that when they really started to expand, when, when EXP Realty came around over a decade ago, there was a lot of un- misunderstanding of it. Like, what do you mean a virtual real estate business? What do you mean revenue share? What do you mean everything's in the cloud? This is, it was. I didn't understand it when it came out. I nope. didn't really give it that much credit. I thought, who does that? Right. You know? I mean, we had looked into EXP Realty years and years ago and we're like, an avatar? Where the heck would I want to be an avatar, right? right? And so we weren't ready. And we were trying to basically say, this, is, this doesn't make sense. This is an idea, you know, maybe not even ahead of its times, but just will never take hold. We didn't get it. So Julie and I had closed minds to it. Uh, and we felt that we were that way until about two and a half, well, really two years ago, effectively. And we started taking a hard look at it because we started seeing coaching clients go to EXP Realty. We started seeing brokerages that we had as longtime coaching clients going to EXP Realty. And then we started asking people that we know, loved, and trust, right? longtime real estate uh, friends, what the heck's the story with the XP Realty? And then we got it. And it wasn't until that. We were in denial about it for years. And then Julie and I realized what it was. Mm -hmm. And we still didn't even, once we started with them, we still didn't even realize what it was. It's such an amazing company. And now this is the interesting, I think we can sort of round the bend. Mm -hmm. But you see the speed of change happen like never before, right? We're all, you know, working through this together mentally and emotionally. There's no clear cut way. We haven't had enough distance from the the sort of the jet leaving the uh, landing pad, as it were, the launching pad to really understand. We just watched it take off in essence. This is this is where we are in this historical trend. So we can't look back yet and say, okay, look, this change, then this change, this change. But you can only get a sense of how fast things are going to evolve. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And then if you look at, for example, um, EXP Realty, that is where everything real estate-wise is going to go. Well, that's part of the acceleration of the change, right? right? I mean, and now people don't go, what do you mean you can you can office in the cloud? What do you mean you can do everything virtually? Because well, you've been doing it for five months. But look at EXP Realty. This you know? year, they're probably going to have, or I say so we, we, we're probably going to have, over 40,000 people in the real estate Amazing. brokerage. EXP Realty stock is quadrupled this year. EXP Realty last week announced that they're, um, they were – what entering France, India, Mexico, and the idea and the manner in which they approach real estate is the future of real estate. It isn't even the future; it's the now, it's the present, and everything else is that. It's that cassette tape that nobody wants anymore. Mm-hmm. 
right? Only the people in a year from now, not 10 years from now, a year from now, people that are having traditional real estate offices and agents and brokers that are trying to follow the sort of pre-pandemic business model in real estate, they're the ones that are going to be basically nostalgic for vinyl, right? Yeah. They're going to be sitting around and you know reminiscing about the good old days of the MLS books, where <laughs> the, the fact is, is that everything in real estate, because I think you know the pandemic has really accelerated EXP's growth because everyone's saying, um, oh my gosh, EXP really is the best business model in real estate. Um, going forward, especially, you're going to see the growth of that company. I wouldn't be surprised if they, it's not like, it's on this crazy hockey stick growth curve with the number of agents that are joining. But I bet you within, I bet, here, I'll say this. I think within, at the end of this year, they'll have over 40,000. I said they again, but it's we, right? We're mm -hmm. part of the company. Sure. And I think probably by the end of next year, it won't be, you know, 60,000 or 80,000. I bet you by the end of next year, because of the fact that the pandemic is going to cause a, a, a lot of financial uncertainty with a lot of business owners, real estate people, they're all going to rush to eXp because it's the really only business model that makes sense in real estate brokering. And yeah. certainly it's the best thing ever for individual practitioners. Well, cool I is, bet you by the end yeah. of 2021, it's 100,000. Yep. The cool thing is it was set up to be virtual from day one. Right. It's not trying to retrofit a bunch of, you know, kind of hacks and, you know, we're going to do this for a while because things are going to go back. And it was it was born for this type of, um, you know, renaissance, really. And that's my my point about retail. Yeah. Right. So you had a, you had these businesses that were predicated on these retail locations and mm -hmm. these, you know, physical locations and malls and people weren't going to malls for five months. And all these businesses are falling like dominoes because they always had an online presence, but they never developed an online presence. That's right. right? And so EXP has always been online, never had a physical presence. And so all these, all these other you know, old real estate brokerages, especially the ones that are, franchise, are franchises, they're the ones that are going to struggle the most because they're predicated on physical locations. When you are buying an ABC franchise, you are required then to have a location. You're going to have build-outs. You're going to have you know, the, your desk. Had to, Julie and I, a long time ago, had thought about buying, um, back when Keller Williams was, was in its expansion mode in the 90s, we were thinking about opening up offices in Ohio, maybe even trying to buy a region or all the rest of it. But we went to a lot of meetings for KW and... I remember this one meeting where they were talking about it was Moe Anderson and you know, mm -hmm. this is how a franchise is supposed to work. I'm not criticizing. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But I remember they were saying your waiting room, the counter on your receptionist desk has to be a certain height. And that desk has to be, you know, everything yeah. was so controlled. Again, that's the way you build a franchise. Sure. But all of that had massive expense. And I remember that they told us, and this is back in the 90s, right? For us to open up an office, I seem to remember the number of $250,000. Yeah. And, and that's and a lot, there was an agent count too, which is very high. Yeah, and you to had to work, and you weren't making any profit. Best no. case scenario for years. Yep. Right, because you had to then go out and recruit. You had to build it, and hopefully they would come. Was the theory behind franchise models? Yep. Um, and it worked, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there was a day and age where franchises and physical locations made total sense. It doesn't anymore, because most because you have an alternative right now. If you're trying to sell somebody into a franchise, and you're saying, "Okay, Bob and Judy, it's going to cost you," I just said my aunt and uncle's name. Where'd that come from? <laughs> you okay. Talk to them about you. Yeah, maybe we do. You know, she has a real estate license. That's what it is. Yep, that's what it is. I'm gonna. So, Aunt Judy, Judy Pergura <laughs> in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're listening, I'm gonna call you about EXP. <laughs> maybe. That's right. Well, so been warned. if you're now faced with the option of choosing, like you can be an independent brokerage, 
you have to have, you're going to have probably a fixed cost and leases and all that and your expenses are going to make it so you're never going to have much of a profit. You're going to start a franchise, same scenario just worse because now you're having to pay uh, you know your franchisee some huge, ridiculous amount of money for whatever. Okay, and then you can go to EXP where basically from day 1 you could be profitable and not just a little bit and profitable too. Even if you're not a broker, you're an agent, you have ownership. That's yeah. what's different. I, I don't like talking about what you just touched on on this podcast because if they're not familiar with EXP, it does sound like you I and I are throwing spitballs. But it's not, here's the way to summarize it. I guess the thing that's been incredibly motivating for me, especially in this past week about EXP, is because we're in front of so many of you. You know, who knows how many every week, every day. And so many of you guys are joining EXP, and, you, and a lot of you are choosing to join uh, with Julie and I at EXP. And if you're interested in talking with us about EXP, please just text me directly. Just, you know, 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. If you're just in the getting ready to get started, want to learn more about EXP, we've made it easy for you. Just uh, text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. It will text you back. It's a nine-minute video that you can watch, and it'll answer a lot of your questions and get the conversation started, and then we'll take it from there. But be EXP curious, right? Don't just be complacent. Be EXP curious, and I'm going to give you an overview of why. One of the things that I find to be most amazing about EXP, aside from the technology, aside from the experience that the agents have aside from the fact that it is truly an agent-centric business they're not just saying that is the it here's how you know they're not just saying it is because when glenn sanford put exp's business model together he designed it around how to help agents and that sounds like mickey mouse but here's how he backed it up the revenue share model he is giving the profit that traditional real estate brokerages, or the revenue rather, that traditional real estate brokerages and franchises and all these traditional models have just kept to themselves. He gives that money back through this amazing model he created to agents. So you, in essence, are paid not just for your normal real estate transacting, but you're also paid for the agents that you also attract into eXp. You are paid a portion of what they earn. And again, watch the video. Just text the word eXp to 31996. Now, again, without getting into the weeds of how that works, here's what it translates to. Normal, you know, Joe and Josephine agents are now able to make, sometimes it's hundreds of dollars per month in revenue share after being at eXp for maybe a year or two. You put in a little bit of effort into sponsoring agents and the, the result you see is like immediate. It's not like other companies that supposedly have profit share, but there's no profit to share so you don't get anything. At eXp, it's revenue share. They share it off the top. So when you sponsor someone into eXp um, and they sell something, you get paid before they get paid. You get paid for eXp gets paid. It's revenue share. So that right there is just something that's never been done before. But running into people you know, virtually, right, who are making hundreds, if not thousands, in some cases we know people making ten thousand, uh, tens of thousands, and we know people making hundreds of thousands of dollars per month from eXp revenue share. Running into these people, knowing, having known them, some of them, for you know, 10, 20 years, Seeing that they've been able to um, effectively become rich where their money works for them and they no longer have to work for their money. And that might mean they have 5000 coming in per month or 10000 coming in per month or 3500 coming in per month. But the fact is they have passive revenue income coming in that gives them financial security that they've never had before. Seeing how those people have improved their lives because of the genius that Glenn thought of, you know, 
is emotional. It is unbelievably emotional because Julie and I come from a perspective of being real estate coaches. And we see... As well as agents, brokers, you know, the whole nine. Right. right? We've been in all of your shoes. Right, exactly. We have. Yeah. And so knowing what this industry, you know, it creates nice lifestyles for a lot of people, but most people can never retire. When is the last time you went to an agent's mm-hmm. retirement party? It never happens. Most agents retire broke. But what EXP did, what Glenn did, is he said, I can make something better for the betterment of the individual practitioner and the individual brokerage. And when you really get that, like my friend Jay Kender said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And that is the truth. And once you understand it, then you say, okay, why wouldn't I want to you know, join with EXP? You would, and you will. That's what's magical about this. And so maybe EXP's wide acceptance would have taken pre-pandemic. Maybe it would have taken five years or 10 years. Sure. But now you're seeing they're on this massive growth curve and it's accelerating because of the pandemic, because of all the things we've been talking about on this podcast. That's right. And I, I just want to remind our listeners, too, you don't have to recruit. You can just go and run your business there. That's, right. you know, some people, they're like, oh, I don't want to feel like I've, I've got to do that. You don't have to. You can if you want to. But if you do, when you do, one of the things I think is super cool is it gets you into control of a whole new spoke, which is predictable monthly and you don't have you don't have to go recruit a hundred agents to get that it's very i mean i don't know you can have a significant impact bringing 10 or 15 people in well how would you feel if you had an additional awesome. if you had thirty five hundred dollars a month just say well just say the amount of one more consistent closing to you that you don't have to work for single month <laughs> you don't have to work for it. Uh, the, you know the first time i saw that at one of the um events yep. that we went to i was like you know what that really does. I, I took me right back to our existence, right? What if you had that predictable? That, I think that it's not just the money. It's the predictability of the money coming in. What could you do with that? And it gives you enough control that maybe you start really liking that and you go, you know what? What if it was double? That? That's what happens. What if it was triple that? I, I have the most exciting calls when our coaching members say, I just got my first revenue I know. transfer. Me too. I can't believe it. Yep. You know, and that's really all it takes. Yep. I mean, it, that's all it takes. It, because here's the little fascinating thing. Let's say what we're saying is true. And let's say there is a lot of, you know, financial upheaval that happens during this time of change, which is inevitable. And it could be, uh, you know, the who knows, right? Again, I think we've made that clear that we certainly don't know. Nobody really knows. Inflation, deflation, you know, Lower interest rates, higher interest rates, who the heck knows? Well, how much better would you feel about life if you really didn't care? Not really in the sense that you have to physically or financially worry about how to pay your bills. What if you had enough money coming in every single month passively? Now, for us to have accomplished that pre-EXP, we had to do it through buying rental properties and then having those things paid off. And managing them, taking care of them. Right. All of that. The, the non-rental <laughs> the non-rental property route would have been um, investing money in the stock market. So just to put it in perspective, right? You can use what? It, how much money do you guys have to earn every single month to pay all your bills? Most people would be very comfortable with seventy five hundred dollars a month coming in passively. How much money would you have to have invested in the stock market to, on average, get you know, say you know, seventy five hundred dollars a month? Think about that. I'll answer the question for you. Because many of you don't think like this because you can never in your lifetimes accumulate enough money to ever have that amount of money passive. It just will never happen. So on average, if you have $1 million in the stock market, you're going to make, if you're lucky, 3 to 4% off that per year. So $1 million invested in the stock market is going to basically produce thirty to $40,000 a year, somewhere in there. 
You guys understanding what I'm saying here? You know, call it 40 just to keep the numbers more realistic with the way it's actually been. $1 million, you're making about 3000 maybe $3,500 a month. You can't, you know, that's nice, but you have to get the million dollars. Now, if you wanted to get it up to, you know, double that where you have 7500 coming in a month, you would have to have $2 million invested at least. Mm-hmm. Now, wh- how are you going to accumulate $2 million to have it so that, that money is essentially effectively generating that passive income for you every single month? How are you going to do it? Right? You're not. Most people never will. Like none of you listening even will be given the opportunity or have the opportunity to do it. The way we created that for us and more is that we sacrificed for years. Julie and I have been married for almost 30 years, 29 years this year. And we are buying rental properties and we are paying cash for them. And we are sacrificing in every way you can possibly imagine to accumulate enough money to buy the next rental property. And we did it. By the time I was 40 and Julie was uh, 39, or I was 41 and Julie was 40, we had created enough passive income from our rental properties that if, if we could have, and we maybe did for like a day, retire and just live off the cash flow. We, we did accomplish our goal, but I have to tell you, I would never do that again because of what we had to sacrifice. And we think all the time, we think, oh my gosh, if I had to do it all over again, if I was, you know, Julie and I, we just got married, we're in our early 20s, and I stumble across EXP, oh, it's insane, the different life that we would have had. I'm not bemoaning it. I'm not feeling bad for myself. Don't misunderstand. Obviously, we wouldn't be where we are if we had not had the experiences that we had, both good and bad. That's the brilliance of EXP. You don't have to do what we did. You can actually just basically join EXP. You need a broker anyway. And then when you're at EXP, you don't even have to go in with the idea that you're ever going to sponsor agents. And then you're going to stumble across somebody who's making 5000 or 10000 or 20000 or 80000 $100,000 a month from revenue share. And you're going to talk to them and they're going to tell you what they did. And what they'll tell you, what you'll learn, I'm going to shorten your learning curve, is they just did it. They, weren't, they didn't have any special talents. They didn't have any special skills. But because so many people are EXP curious because this thing, EXP Realty, that Glenn created and all these other people helped co-create over the years is so brilliant. And because of what's going on in the world right now, so many people are curious about it and not just passively curious. They're looking into it. They're exploring it. They're asking questions about it. So if you join EXP Realty, what you'll quickly discover is you're going to have people then that are – going to ask you about it. Maybe it's real estate transactions. Maybe it's just people that were EXP curious themselves. They went to the MLS and saw you were with EXP and they ask you about it. And the next thing you know, you sponsored people and then you sponsored a dozen people. And then you're seeing that revenue share uh, money starting to come in. And then you're like, holy crap, I don't get it. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it is. Well, yeah. And you're not doing it by yourself because the culture of EXP is so different than anything you've experienced. Everyone helps you all the time. Well, EXP, what Glenn has designed is a way so that you guys can be a technically rich where your money works for you. You no longer have to work for your money. He's made it so that you can have financial security in your life um, in the most meaningful way where the money, if you just decide to you know, investigate it, if you just put a little bit of effort and really not that much effort towards it because EXP is on definitely on the ascension in a way I've never seen anything rise before. Uh, after 10 years, it's almost like people are discovering it for the first time. But you're going to see a generation of realtors, agents, that are going to start seeing and experiencing real estate in a way that our generation never did because of what uh, EXP Realty has become and is becoming. Now, it's not just a U.S. phenomena. It's going to be a global phenomena. In my opinion, based on this idea, just like you've seen other amazing ideas 
uh, go you know global. You can look. Amazon is now global, right? Who would have thought Jeff Bezos, you know, operating in his garage, what back in the '90s, saying I'm going to revolutionize selling books? How many people laughed at him? He's the world's richest man now. And we use Amazon as an example because it's something everybody knows. But there are thousands of examples like Amazon. There were no examples like Amazon in real estate until EXP. Everyone was just iterating on the same idea. You know, all these companies, they're all basically offering the same thing until EXP Realty. So when you talk to anybody who's paying attention to what's going to be the most relevant thing going forward for real estate agents, it's EXP and the waves that EXP creates, the technology that they evolve, the the adaptation uh, to different lifestyles. You don't have to have a physical location. Everything that uh, can be online. You can get revenue share from EXP Realty. You can have stock in the company. You're an owner in EXP Realty um, because they award you stock. There's all these different ways that you can create momentum going forward that you never would have been able to experience in the traditional real estate environment because the brokers, the owners, and the franchise holders kept all the money. And you just basically were the boots on the ground. That's what you were. You're not anymore. So guys, listen. We always like to end our Sunday shows talking about EXP because it's something I know that whether you you know decide to listen to another one of our podcasts again or whether you decide to join with us in our coaching program, all those things would definitely help you. But the thing I know will help all of you universally and is joining EXP Realty because it's immediately going to make you richer. It's going to make you more confident. It's going to make it so that you have a financial future you otherwise never would have been able to have. Open your mind. Stop being so. Stop believing that things are going to return to normal. Normal is abnormal until further until further notice. <laughs> Anything you'd like to say to these guys, Julie? Well, as I always say, not doing it is completely financially, emotionally, in every way irresponsible. At least educate yourselves. First step is just finding out about it. That's okay. You know, just reach out to us and we'll help you do that quickly. So text the word EXP to 31996 for the video. If you'd like to speak with me directly, if you're ready to join EXP, just text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. And if you listen to us uh, during the week, I promise you our show is much more <laughs> different. different, much more scripts and skills based and motivational mindset. Sunday is basically where Julie and I get to talk about whatever we want to talk about. And today we talked about Jiffy peanut butter. So yep, <laughs> that's the high point. You guys have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.